0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Fellowship Greenville Student Ministry Podcast. On this episode, we are concluding our study through the letter of James, and we are looking at the very tail end of chapter five where James leaves us with three takeaways to conclude his letter. Number one, be patient as we wait on God. Number two, be plain in our speech and be honest about what we say. And number three, be prayerful in all things. Follow along and we hope you enjoy this message. Welcome everyone to Fellowship Greenville students. We're so glad you guys are here. My name's Matt. I love you. I want you to know that you're loved here, you belong here, and we think God has uh, a place for you here and incredible plans for your life. And uh, we want you to know that. Has anyone ever been in a waiting game for anything or possibly anyone? Has anyone ever had to wait for anything Or anyone. Show of hands. Show of hands. Yes. Yes. So many of y'all are in the friend zone and you don't even know it. Actually, you probably do. And I'm gonna pray for your souls tonight. Recently, recently I ordered a package off of Amazon. Who does someone work for Amazon? Someone is very enthusiastic. Yeah. Recently I ordered A package off of Amazon. You may be wondering, are you a Prime member? Of course. I'm not a savage. It's 2022. All right. Yes. Yes. I'm a Prime member. Obviously. I ordered a package. The Amazon uh, gave me an expected delivery date. You guys know how it is with packages. You get excited. You kind of check the door. Oh, did they come early today? open the door and just peek out, just see if anything, no, no, not yet, okay, I'll wait a little bit longer, right? The day came that the package was expected to arrive. No package. Oh. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. is <laughs> a traumatic story, as you can tell. I'm deeply affected by this. No package. So I was like, all right. So, You know, sometimes Amazon uses third-party shipping companies. They don't always deliver in-house. And so this particular package was outsourced to a third-party shipping company. So I checked the tracking, uh, clicked on the number, checked the tracking that they gave me. All that was recorded about my passage is that it had left the warehouse and arrived in the shipping warehouse. And beyond that, after that, you know how the line goes to the next bubble? It is blank, Like, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, hmm, but the expected day of delivery has not changed. So I'm like, all right, there's been a misunderstanding somewhere in the process of my package, but I will track this down. So I called the number for this third-party shipping company. I called the number. Has anyone ever been put on hold before? (laughs) Yes and amen. I was on hold. I was on hold for one hour. Cody, don't even play, bro. Don't even act like that's not a lot. I was on hold for... Okay. I was on hold for one hour. The person picks up after one hour. And I explain my conundrum, my predicament. And they say, oh, okay, would you just hold on one second, sir? Let let me see if I can... I say, sure. So they put me back on hold. The call drops. I call again. I'm on hold for one hour again. You may be thinking, dang, dude, you really wanted that package. Yes, I did. <laughs> I was doing other stuff. I had the phone on speaker. It wasn't just like I was like waiting there the whole time. Don't worry about the package. I was on hold one hour again. Oh. It's like, why is he so shady about this package? <laughs> My personal belongings are of no importance to you, Okay. No, it was a couch. It was a couch. I had ordered a couch, which is why they use third-party shipping. It was a big item. They couldn't deliver it in their little electric van, so they had to use a third-party shipping. So I, I called, and I'm on hold for another hour. I talked to a person, and I'm like, hey, here's my predicament. Here's my conundrum. It was supposed to be delivered today. It's not. I just want to make sure. And they're like, oh, sir, you're calling the wrong place about this. I'm like, hmm, tell me. And they're like, yeah, this is the Houston office. You need to call the Charlotte office. I'm like, that would have been nice to know. And I said, hey, before I hang up, because I know how these things go, before I hang up, can you give me their number and then transfer me there? Because in case they drop my call, I want to know what number to call back, so I'm not calling you again. And they said, sure. They give me the number. Then they transfer me to, Houston, uh, to the Charlotte office. Charlotte office answers, hello. I said, like, hey, here's my name. Here's my predicament. Here's my conundrum. And the guy said, Hello. I said don't do this to me. Hey, hey, don't do this to me. He goes, "Hello?" I said, "I know you hear me. <laughs> I know you hear me." And he hung up. Yeah. A A I call back. No answer. No answer. I call back. No answer. I call back. No answer. I'm like, "Dude, I can't I You know, I don't know about you guys, but by this point, my blood is effectively boiling. You know how everybody has triggers, and you can really tell how far away from Jesus you actually are with certain things? I will tell you right now, a full disclosure, this is a a true story. I went to my wife this evening, the very evening that this was happening, and I said, sweetie, I don't think... Uh, hell operates this way. Like, I don't think hell is specifically tailored to individual people, but if it were, and if I were going there, this would be my hell. I am miserable in this process, right? I hate calling customer service. I hate trying to track things down. I hate doing returns. I hate all that. It's just like, oh, why can't things just work? This is why we have systems. This is why we have customer service. How come this can't be more efficient? No one's taking my call. So I finally get a hold of someone the next day, the next day. And I say, all right, here's what's going on. I called yesterday. I was on hold. I was waiting. This thing's lost. And the person says, all right, what's your tracking number? And I'm thinking in my head, oh, traction. We're getting some momentum. Here we go. Somebody's on the job. I give them my tracking number. They they say, sir, that tracking number doesn't exist. I say, y'all, like, I have never tested my blood pressure, but I know. The doctors would have like put me on bed rest at this point. What do you mean it doesn't exist? They say, sir, that tracking number doesn't exist. The tracking number you just gave me is part of our old system. We actually just changed systems two days ago. Fam. And I'm like, so why wouldn't you update the new track? Like, why wouldn't it just transfer into the new system? I don't know, sir, but I don't know how to find your package. So let me, let me give you the long, the long story short version here. For the next few weeks, and I mean that literally, for the next three weeks or so, I would call multiple times a day. Eventually, I found the package. We found the new tracking number. It is in Charlotte. We found it. I would call multiple times a day. And I would say, hey, yes, um, I scheduled a re-delivery for this package. It was supposed to be delivered yesterday. Nobody came. Here's the tracking number. And they would always say the same thing. Oh, sir, let me go check and see if it's still in the warehouse. They would go in. They'd come back to the phone. And this was not, like, very professional, by the way. You know how some companies have, like, holding music? This was, no, this was just, like, set the phone on the desk, and I'm hearing, like, all the background chatter going on. I'm hearing, like, all the water, the water cooler talk going on. They'd come back. <laughs> yes, sir. It is in the warehouse. Cool. Why? <laughs> sir, we don't know. Okay, can we, a, can we get a delivery rescheduled? Well, sir, we could, but the dispatcher has already left for the day, so it's going to be at least a two-day wait okay, let's go ahead and schedule it for two days. Sometimes, guys, I would call multiple times a day and reschedule multiple times a day with people that worked on the different shifts, because eventually I learned their shift hours, because I was trying to increase my probability of getting my couch. I would call and schedule redelivery with the morning person, the evening person, and the late night person, that hopefully three different reschedulings being on the desk of the dispatcher would prompt someone to go into the warehouse and say, yo, the fool has been waiting now for three Weeks, this is never going to get delivered unless we finally do something about it. And every day it was the same. No delivery. I would call, everyone seemed confused, and no one seemed to understand why. Eventually, I just called Amazon. I returned the whole thing. The whole thing. I spoke to a very lovely English lady named Lola and she genuinely and authentically used the expression Great Scott with me when I explained my problem to her. That's how you know it's bad, is when a British person says Great Scott, and they mean it. Now, eventually, eventually, I just had a hunch, like dude, I wonder if I called that shipping company again I wonder what they're going to do, because I know how these things, this is a lost item. Someone in that factory, someone in that warehouse is going to get this thing, and I just couldn't sleep with that. I was like, no, you know what? I'm not going to give up this fight. So I spent one more week tracking this down. I finally got a hold of someone who seemed like they cared, seemed like they were concerned. They rescheduled. It was delivered on Halloween, October 31st, about a month after it was supposed to be delivered on Halloween, and it was delivered by two very kind gentlemen. One was from uh, Kenya and one was from Liberia. They've been living in the States now for about 20 years. And I asked them, I said, hey man, tell, tell me the deal. So you guys don't work in the warehouse. They're like, no, we don't work in the warehouse. We're the truck drivers. I said, tell me the deal. Why is the warehouse so bad where you work? How is it this bad? How is it this broken? Tell me the system. I want to know. They were cracking up. They were like, bro, when we're bored on our route, we read reviews that people leave on Google <laughs> about our branch, and it makes us laugh so hard. These guys were amazing, but the whole company, the system itself, is so broken. And I was in waiting for over a month. I, I fully am aware this is the first world problem, my package didn't come, eh, I get it. But I was like so frustrated, really not that my package didn't come, but that nobody cared. I would call, and I'd plead my case, and nobody cared. It was like, well, we'll we'll see what we can do. The lack of compassion, the lack of empathy, that's what got me so upset. And And the sense of like, no, justice will be done. I will have my package, or no one will, right? Like, I just had to see it through to the end. Have you ever been waiting on something that is simply not coming? Someone or something. Have you ever been waiting on God? Have you ever come to God with your heart and your concerns and your cares and your prayers? Have you ever come to God and laid things before Him and sensed and hoped and and maybe felt like there would be some response and you are just waiting? And you're kind of lost in limbo. Like you don't know where, you don't know where the, the package is at. You, you don't know what's happened, but it feels like God is distant. It feels like maybe he's not answering your prayers. Maybe you're so frustrated or confused it feels like you don't even know what to pray anymore. It might feel like customer service has lost compassion and empathy for your plight. You're not even sure God cares. Have you ever been waiting on God, and just been in the wing of silence, confusion, mystery, frustration? What do we do in those seasons of life? Because they are coming. If you're not in one currently, my bet is you have been in one or will be in one. They come, and unfortunately it's not one and done, they come often, where you just reach places of life where you're like, God, I have come to you. I feel like prayers don't work. I feel like I feel like you don't care. I feel like you're not near. I can't feel you. I can't sense you. I'm not even sure you hear me, and I'm frustrated and confused. Did you know that all throughout the Bible there are stories after stories after stories of God's people in waiting? praying and expressing their emotions to God about what they're feeling. Read the book of Psalms and you will see white hot emotion. People who are confused by what God is up to, who are angry or hurt or lonely or scared, praying their hearts out. God, where are you? Why is this happening? What is going on? How come this is my experience? They are waiting on something or someone. If you've been here over the past few weeks, we have been going through the book of James, the letter of James, and uh, last week we didn't meet because it was Thanksgiving. Tonight we're meeting, and it's our last night in the book of James. We're concluding our study in James tonight. Now, if you've been paying attention over the past few weeks, you know that we've only gone through the end of chapter 3, and so you may be thinking, whoa, wait, dude, chapters 4 and 5 in one night? (laughs) Yo! two-hour sermon. Who's up for it? Thank you. Thank you, JJ. That was a test to see who really loves Jesus, and JJ does. I'm kidding. Lighten up. Lighten up. It's church. Okay. I'm just kidding, guys. Lighten up. It's cool. I, look, I wouldn't want to sit here two hours either. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. We're skipping chapter four tonight. (laughs) I knew that was coming. I just didn't know from where it would come. Matt is skipping the Bible. (laughs) Is he even like a Christian, bro? We're skipping chapter four and some of chapter five. I know. I know. Pray, pray for your pastor, fam. Pray for your pastor, all right? After tonight, I may just be your volunteer because I might get fired for leaving out chapters of the Bible, but here we go. We're going to, we're going to, Wrap up our study in James with the final uh, few passages in chapter 5. Just to bring you up to speed in case you've missed it, James is the half brother of Jesus. He grew up at home with Jesus in the family of Jesus. He grew up not believing that Jesus was who he said he was. James did not believe that Jesus was God or Messiah. That happened later in his life. The trump card Jesus played was not being dead. Yes, resurrection. Hey, I'm back. Oh, James is like, you are God. Wow, my bad. I didn't believe. Now I do. And James became a, a, a voice, a teacher, a leader in the early church. And as he grew in his maturity and age, he is writing this letter, the letter of James, to those who profess faith in Jesus. And they are on the run because of persecution. There are many people who are trying to hurt, target, kill, um, Persecute Christians because of their faith. And so many Christians were on the run, specifically in Jerusalem. And James is writing a letter to them, rallying them, encouraging them, and challenging them that, hey, you claim faith in Jesus. I know life is hard, but this is still what faith looks like, even in circumstances like these. So James is typically to the point, he's pretty direct. And the way that we've been framing our studies every single week is that James is kind of like a spiritual father writing to the next generation. And so this is like spiritual dad vice with James. Every single week he invites us in. The breakfast is set. Pancakes are on the table. Bacon's on the table. Eggs are on the table. Glass of OJ. Steaming coffee. And Papa James invites us in and says, hey, take a seat. Let me pour some wisdom into you. Let me let let you know what life is all about. This is spiritual dad vice with James. So we're concluding our letter this week. I don't want you to fret too much because honestly, the things that we're going to look at really like point back to chapter four that we're skipping. So we're still going to get like some flavors of four and the rest of the book as a whole. But really, um, in typical dad fashion, James uh, feels the end of his letter coming, I guess. He does not end it like most New Testament letters end most New Testament letters end with kind of like a gradual farewell, like, hey, tell so-and-so I said hello, and, and peace and grace of Jesus be with you, and, and and God's mercy be with you. James doesn't end it like that. James kind of feels the letter ending, I guess, and and puts a lot of things pop, 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 right in a row at the very end. Like, like dad is running out of time, and he looks at his watch, he's like, "Ooh, okay, well, let me just give you the rest. And, and that's kind of how the letter ends. So the dad vice for tonight, James's Spiritual dad advice for us tonight is three bullet points, and to make this very very easy for you, I've made them all begin with the letter P, so that they're memorable. It's called alliteration, repetition of initial consonant sounds. I did it because I love you. Okay, this is my gift to you. So they all begin with P. This is James' dad advice for us tonight. You ready? Okay. This is what he wants to tell. This is what he wants to tell us tonight. James' dad advice: to be patient, to be plain, and to be prayerful. He's got us at the breakfast table. Were you trying to guess the peas? Sorry, fam. Did you get one wrong? Yeah, yeah sorry, fam. Was it plain? Yeah, sorry, fam. <laughs> Wild card. He's got us at the breakfast table. He's recalling all the lessons that he's taught to us throughout this book And as he's summarizing his advice, he's he's kind of saying, hey, there there are a few ways of operating in this life that if you follow Jesus and if you walk with Jesus, these should be identifying markers about your life. That people should look at you and know that you are patient, that you are plain, and that you are prayerful. We're going to unpack each one of these three. So we're going to start in verse 5 tonight, and we're going to go all the way through verse 20 we got a lot to cover. We're going to move it fairly quickly. So, you guys ready? Yep. I'm sorry, we're starting in verse 7, not 5. We're starting in verse 7. Here we go. Be patient, therefore, brothers, you can insert sisters there as well, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. So remember, those that James is, those that James is writing to are experiencing persecution. Like, their lives are literally on the line. And there are many who are kind of raising the question, God, where are you? Don't you care? Like, bro, my tracking number was changed and they didn't tell me. This is an outrage. There are many people postured before the Father, experiencing persecution for their faith, being targeted because they've claimed the name of Jesus, persecuted financially, economically, socially, physically, and they're crying out to God, Where are, don't you care? Like, Jesus, aren't you coming back? Don't you care about your people? And James is writing this letter saying, be patient, be patient. It's not really the advice that you'd want if your life were being targeted because of your faith. Like, if you came up to me and you were like, hey, Matt, some people are trying to kill me because I believe in Jesus, what should I do? And my response to you is, hey, just wait on Jesus. He's coming back one day. Be patient. Truthfully, I think you'd be like, <laughs> I was hoping for something a little more tangible, like something next step-ish, you know what I mean? And James is writing to Christians saying, Jesus is coming back. Be patient in your waiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah but dude, they're trying to, like, I'm getting persecuted. I know. Be patient. No, James, like, our lives have been uprooted. We used to live in Jerusalem. We had to leave everything behind with little to no warning. We're on the run. I know. Be patient. No, like, James, we need something practical. Like, people are trying to hurt us. We're considering abandoning the faith because this is so hard. Be patient. It's just not the advice that, you, that you'd want to get in that moment. You'd want something a little more comforting or a little more mobilizing, some kind of action step. But what do we do? Just wait. We have been. We're crying out to God. Just wait. Be patient. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. It's like, dude, when is that going to be? We don't know. But wait on it. This is hard. I, I, I want, like, clear steps. I I, I want God to just speak from the heavens and give me like, here's what to do. Here's where to hide. Here's how to solve your problem. Oh, you want this? You've been praying for that? Here it is. Oh, you need clarity? Here's the answer. Oh, you've been asking me this? I got it. That's how we want God to operate, if we're honest. And oftentimes, God's response to us is be patient and wait. Now, I'm kind of giving you the, the ending of the movie, so to speak. I'm, I'm going to give you the spoiler about this. But if you have the eyes to see it, what we discover in the waiting, what we discover by being patient, is oftentimes the very thing that we needed all along. It doesn't always feel that way in the moment. We, we kind of feel like, God, would you answer me? I, I, you're giving me nothing. But then when we look back on it, it's like, oh, God was at work the whole time. I didn't see it, but now I do. If you have the eyes to see it, the waiting is oftentimes the answer to the prayer or the answer to the circumstance. It was not for my package. I had, I had to hunt that down. But, but in God's economy, waiting is typically the answer. James says, wait on the Lord, and he uses an analogy, an agricultural analogy. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. He points to farming, which is an easily understandable thing. You guys know this, even if you're not farmers, but if you put a seed in the soil, does it grow right away? No. Would a farmer, would would a farmer in their right mind go out and put seeds in the soil and then pull up a chair and sit there and be like, all right, God, I'm ready. No, because the farmer knows this will take time to yield its fruit. And James says, the farmer waits until it receives the early and late rains. Now, this is kind of interesting because this is a specific regional application. In Palestine, the bulk of rains, the bulk of the rains that come happen from December through February. So when a farmer sows seed in autumn, that seed gets watered mostly by rains that come December through February and then begin to harvest in spring. But there are two rains, two very crucial rains, that actually impact those crops with a greater degree than all the rains that happen from December through February. One rain is the autumn rain. It happens in August-ish, late August. And that particular rain is what kind of activates those seeds on the beginning of their journey. If that first rain doesn't come or comes too late, those seeds are so far behind their growing pattern that the harvest will be minimal comparatively. So, even though the bulk of the rains happen from December through February, James is pointing out something about this region, which is the farmer waits on the early and late rains specifically, why? Because it's the early rain that kind of activates the process, and then there's one rain that happens kind of in March or April, one final rain that kind of wraps it all up and produces the fruit or the yield of those seeds. In Palestine, bulk of the rain happens from December through February, but these two crucial rains, these two carry far more weight than the bulk of all the others. And James is pointing to this idea that like the farmer understands that there is a pattern and a season to life. And when they put the seed in the ground, they do not expect it to grow rapidly or immediately, but they know that there is a season of growing. And even within that season, there are specific things that happen that are so crucial to help that thing grow. Grow. He's not using this analogy accidentally. James is pointing us to this idea that when we are in a season of waiting and we are in a season of waiting on God to answer or waiting on something to come or the fruit of something, that, that there might be activity that's going on in our lives, but there might be some activity that's more crucial than others. And I think one of the things, given his language, that James wants us to remember is what he began this very letter with. If you guys remember on week one, when we started this journey all the way back at the beginning of our semester, the dad vice from week one, does anyone remember dad vice from week one? Who said it? Oh, Annabelle. James's dad vice from week one is, <laughs> is life is hard. He's calling his spiritual brothers and sisters to the table, and he's saying, Hey, I want you to know something about this life. It's not easy. There's an enemy at work, there's spiritual forces of darkness and evil in this world. Your own flesh is corrupt from birth, there's a lot of things against you. Life is hard, God is good. But he's rallying us to this idea that like, life is hard. And in James chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Or another word for that is endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The language James is using in chapter 5 is an echo of chapter 1. And basically he's saying, when you wait, when you're in the waiting and you don't know what's going on, Count it a joy in these times. Let endurance produce in you maturity in the faith. Again, oftentimes the thing that we need the most is actually coming through the waiting and not through the immediacy of God's action. So he says, You also be patient. Verse 8, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Why would he say don't grumble against one another? Because when you are waiting, you tend to get irritable. When you are confused about what the Lord is doing, you tend to get frustrated. When you grow impatient in life, you tend to grow impatient with others. And if you are in a season of waiting, and you don't see the fruit, and you don't see the harvest, and you have forgotten that things don't grow rapidly, it is so easy to begin to take it out on others, isn't it? And to be short with them, and irritable with them. Married couples in the room, you know what this is like. The person you love more than anyone else in the world tends to get the brunt of your poor attitude. Waiting has a tendency to make us impatient and irritable. And James is saying, hey, 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 when you're in this season of waiting, don't grumble against each other. That is not how Christians behave. Like in this family, we don't allow frustrations with life to translate to frustrations against others. We don't gossip. We don't slander. We don't speak sideways. We take our emotions to God. You have permission to do that. Again, read the Old Testament. Time and time again, people are pouring out their heart frustrations discouragements, confusions to God. But James is saying, but don't do it about each other. That's not the way when we are in a game of waiting or a season of waiting. If you do that, we risk being judged. Again, this is echoing, remember chapter three, that the tongue has the power of life and death. And James is saying, do not kill your brothers and sisters with your words because you are growing impatient in life. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. So he says, hey, if you want to know what waiting is like, think about the prophets. Now, you may be wondering, all right, what does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, there were prophets. A prophet was someone who Foretold told the word of God and forth told the word of God. In other words, they were a preacher and occasionally they saw through visions, futuristic events that were going to happen. They saw into the future and then they came and told the people about it, calling on them to repent, to take themselves before God and repent. And James is saying, hey, you want to know what waiting looks like? Consider the prophets. So let me give you guys an example. Oftentimes the prophets would roll up to a city after seeing a vision, and they'd be like, yo, God said he's going to do this. And then, like, no one would repent. They'd be like, all right, weirdo. And the prophet would wait. He's like, all right, He's coming. Y'all going to be proven wrong, just you wait. And some time would go by, and the prophet's like, like God, are you going to show up? Because I want you know, I told him it was going to happen. I, now I'm feeling kind of like a fool. God, are you going to show up? And God would be like, yeah, soon. Probably like, all right, dope, 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 dope. Some time would go by, another one, had prophet's like, God, you gave me that vision. Are you going to do it? I, I told him, now I'm looking like, uh, you know, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> Feels like, don't know what I'm talking about. The people aren't going to repent if they don't see you doing what I told them you would do. And God's like, yes, yeah, soon. The prophet's like, all right, okay. Some time would go by. The prophet's like, God, I, I, you going to follow through? Or? God's like, yes, yeah, soon. Like the story of the prophets is saying something and Waiting. You guys may not know this, but in the Old Testament, there's a prophet named Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet for two decades. Y'all aren't even 20 years old yet. Jeremiah was a prophet for longer than you've been alive, and God told him, hey, you're going to be a prophet, and nobody is going to come to believe in me while you're a prophet. 20 years, bro, buckle up. No one's going to want to believe what you have to say, but that's what I'm calling you into, and Jeremiah's like, okay, that's why Jeremiah wrote a book called Lamentations, because he was so sad. So sad. The prophets waited. James is calling us to this idea. And guys, I, I, got, I got news. You may interpret it as bad news. It could be good news. But I have news that the way that we perceive time is, is often not how God perceives time. You know, the Bible says that a thousand years is like one day to the Lord dog (laughs) like you've been waiting what a few months a few years that's like seconds to God one of the things I think people don't talk about often is that Christianity to follow Jesus Christianity requires patience and fam let's be honest we are not a very patient generation Amen? amen like if you want to know any bit of information you don't even have to lift a finger. You can literally voice command and ask your phone. Hey, Siri, what's so-and-so? Who won? I had to do this for the World Cup. I didn't keep up with it, but I was like, yo, who won? And the U.S. men's are out. Rest in peace. Four years. We'll come back, though. I believe that we will win. You can get anything you want immediately. You don't have to do anything, any bit of information. You can order stuff It comes in two days, unless it's my package, then it's lost for a while. We are a generation that has been conditioned to expect immediate. We want microwave, and God is oftentimes a crock pot. It's like, nah, man, I'm on slow simmer. Come back at the end of the day. Eight-hour simmer. Come back. We're like, no, but I want it now. It's like, wait, be patient. And James is calling us to this idea the dad advice James wants us to rally around tonight is to be patient, to wait on God. He says, think about the prophets. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and mercif- merciful. merciful. Now, there's a lot we could say about Job. We could have a whole another sermon here. I'm not going to go down that road. But Job suffered a lot and cried out to the Lord. And waited upon God to come through. And, and James says, think about Job. So what James wants you to know, one of the things he wants you to know tonight is, following Jesus requires waiting. And it may seem like God is not up to anything, but he is. And it may seem like God is not at, at work, but he is. And it may be like, I just don't feel him. But the truth is, guys, you don't have to feel God at work in your life to believe he is at work in your life. God is at work in your life. And James kind of wraps up this thought by saying, we've seen the purposes of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Wow, I can't get that word tonight. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. If we could put verse, the verses back up. At the end of verse 11. And so James is saying, hey, look, man, in the Old Testament, the prophets had to wait. Job had to wait. And it was like, God, what are you doing? But we know now, we see the story from an outside perspective. We see how the Lord is compassionate And merciful in the midst of of waiting. And he is for us as well. So, be patient. And then James wants us to know to be plain. Now, what does that mean? Plain. Well, specifically means plain in your speech. Verse 12. A one verse takeaway. Here we go. But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be No so that you may not fall under condemnation. Guys, if there was a verse that this generation needs to hear, it is this verse. I love you, fam, but Gen Z is one of the flakiest generations I have ever come across, and don't even deny it. And this is not judgment, because James told me not to cast judgment on you, okay? So I'm not judging you. I'm just letting you know the facts. Carfax, okay? That your generation will commit to things right up until the point where something better comes along, where something more fun comes along, something that you're going to enjoy more comes along, and at the, at the expense of commitment, you flake and go to the, the other experience, okay? Or here's what I hear all the time. I'll invite you guys to stuff, and you guys will be like, well, who's coming? It's like, I don't know who's coming. They're asking me who's coming too. I can't tell them anybody because no one will commit. And James is saying, hey, listen, listen. And it's interesting. Look at verse 12. Let's put, oh, there it is. Look at verse 12. James says, but above all, why would he? It's like, hey, 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 God is at work in the silence. Be patient. He's working. Be patient. But even more than that, it's like, really? This does not seem like it's that much more important. Than being patient in the silence of God's mysterious workings. But James says, hey, but above all, when you commit to things, commit to them. He says, don't swear by anything. He's not talking about curse words there, guys. He's talking about taking an oath. It was culturally customary. If you were going to promise something, you would swear by something greater than yourself. So we do that today, too. It'd be like, yo, you swear on your mother's grave. Right? Like we, we have these nuances in our language too, or like pinky promises. Those are sacred. Those are sacred. You can't break those. But we have ways of enforcing, reinforcing our promises. And James is saying, hey, don't do that. Now, the highest oath that you could make in this culture was, as God lives, I will do that. That was the highest oath. Oath you can make. As God lives, I will do that. Let me ask you guys a question: If you commit to something, if you say yes to something, and you said, "Hey, as God lives," or we might say, "As God is my witness," but let's go even higher: As God lives, as God is alive, I will do that. Would you break your commitment? Yes or no? I. There's like dead silence. Okay, thank you. A quiet church is typically a dead church, fam. Work with me here, all right? If you said, as God lives, I will do that, would you break your commitment? No. Okay, because in doing so, you'd be basically saying like, yeah, I think God's dead, right? Like you wouldn't break it. What James is saying, and this is an echo, by the way, from Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 5, but what James is saying is, don't swear by heaven or by earth or any oath But let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. What James is saying is this, that for the Christian, for those who say, I follow Jesus, your yes is the equivalent of, as God lives, I will do it. When a Christian says yes, it's held to that degree. When a Christian says no, it's held to that degree. That one of the things Christians should be known for is their genuine or, or authentic commitment to what they say yes to and no to. We don't need to make promises. We don't need to reinforce it. No, dog, I promise. I swear. You, you, you pinky promise? Yeah, dog. We don't need to do any of that. That your yes should be enough. But guess what? Your yes is proven through your action. And unfortunately for a lot of us, our commitments get broken all the time. We say we're going to do something, we don't do it. How many times have your parents asked you to do something, you say yeah, I'll do it and you haven't? How many times have you made a promise to someone and you haven't kept it? How many times have you made a promise to yourself and you haven't kept it? Like James knows, like do this hard But listen, your yeses and nos are powerful because Christians should be plain in their speaking. We don't need to reinforce it with promises and oaths and and emphases and all sorts of other stuff. That your character should prove that you know God simply because when you say yes, you mean it. And when you say no, you mean it. And other people should be able to see that in your life. So the challenge I am giving to this room full of Gen Z is be plain in your speech. When you make commitments, follow through. When you say yes, it's on the same par as as God lives, this is true. Don't take it lightly. When you say no, follow through. But Matt, what if something more enticing comes up? Like what if a better opportunity comes up and I've already said yes? Then you miss out. James is saying it is better to be a person of your word than to be known as someone who changes their commitment based on the opportunities that come. Now, listen, there's always like asterisks, right? Like, like Matt, what if, you know, we had an emergency and I couldn't? Yes, okay, I, I get it. This is just, I'm talking like broad stroke categories here. If you say yes, follow through. If you say no, follow through. It's that simple. James is saying, hey, be patient, be plain in your speech. Don't make promises, don't make oaths, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. That is a word for this generation. And then finally, James says, be prayerful. Is anyone among you suffering? Verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. This was radical, by the way, because culturally speaking, if you were sick, you were ostracized. In fact, all throughout history, when, when plagues came into villages or, or diseases started to spread through cities and everyone like left and abandoned everything, it was historically Christians who remained and said, No, we're going to go meet the sick where they're at. We're going to go serve the sick. Culturally, people moved away from the sick. James is saying, hey, if you're sick, call the church. Let them come pray over you. It's really radical. I wish we had more time to go into it, but we don't. James says, verse 15, "...the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working." Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it didn't rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and God gave the rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So that's how James ends his book. He ends it with the thought to be prayerful. He says, hey, is anyone among you suffering? I think we could all answer yes at times. James says, pray, pray about it. Is anyone among you cheerful? Is your life going great? James says, great, write a song, sing about it. But there's still this idea of communing with God. He says, hey, is anyone sick? Let, let him call in the church and we'll come pray for him. Speaking of prayer, confess your sins to one another so that you can pray for one another to find healing, spiritual healing. In your life, prayer is powerful as it's working. Hey, is anyone wandering away? Pray for them, go after them, restore them. James ends his book, not with a bunch of farewells, but with this idea of the power of prayer. Now here's what's amazing about prayer. Prayer is waiting, is it not? How many times have you prayed for something and God just has not answered your prayer? If we had another 45 minutes, I would give you 15 reasons why prayers go unanswered, but we don't, and I'll just let it be what it is. But there are many reasons why prayers might go unanswered. In fact, James chapter 4, the chapter we skipped, talks about one of those reasons. So sorry, we skipped it. But James is bringing in this idea that, hey, you've been waiting on God. Pray about it. No, Matt, but I, I have been praying, and that's what I'm waiting on. Yeah, yeah, I know, but pray about it. Prayer can kind of seem like, dude, I just don't understand prayer. I don't understand if it's working. And if we're really, really honest, it might seem like I think you need to have some like super faith, super Christian-y faith. I don't know exactly how to describe it, but I just think you gotta be like some kind of super Christian for God to hear your prayers. Has anyone ever felt that way? No? Great. I guess I have. My prayer life has struggled. I have struggled to feel like God would answer my prayer. I am encouraged to know that all of you have great prayer lives, but I have struggled. And I think at times it's easy to come before the Father and say, I just feel like you don't hear me. I've, I read the Bible and I see how you respond and react and answer so many prayers and work in the lives of so many people. Listen to what James says. Tell me this is not one of the most encouraging verses. James says this. Hey, you know Elijah, right, from the Old Testament. Verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Tell me that's not encouraging. James is saying, hey, 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 you don't have to be super Christian. You don't have to be like some double anointed spirit filled, like you're up every morning at 4.30 in a prayer closet casting out demons and people from the other side of the world. Like James is like, hey, 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 in the Old Testament, God did some amazing things through people, but here's the cool thing. It was normal people, just like you and me. He says, You know that prophet Elijah that went toe to toe with. The prophets of Baal called down fire from heaven. Elijah prayed that it would stop raining, and for three and a half years it stopped raining. And then he prayed that it would rain, and it rained. That's powerful prayer. And James says, hey, hey, Elijah has the same nature as us. In other words, there is nothing more special about people in the Bible and their character than yours. That God can work through you just like he did through Elijah, just like he did through Abraham, just like he did through Noah. All these fantastic stories we read in the scriptures. James is saying, hey, you are just like them. They waited too. They were confused too. They were frustrated too. They didn't know what God was always up to. Okay, so what's the secret? The secret is no secret, but here it is. They endured, this is James chapter 1 verse 2, they endured and allowed it to refine their faith and trust in God. That's it. In the waiting they endured, in the mystery they endured, in the confusion and frustration and hurt and anger and pain and betrayal and all of that. God, what are you up to? They endured, trusting in the Father, and it refined and matured their faith producing a complete and mature faith, lacking in nothing. James is pulling us around the table, and he's saying, Look, all these heroes of the Bible that we read about, Elijah, all the rest, they have a nature like ours. They're just like us. They were everyday people. And God had plans for their life, and they submitted themselves to his plans, and he worked through them. But they're just people like us. So are you waiting? Maybe. Are you confused? Maybe. you frustrated, tired, feeling hopeless, stuck in the mystery of what God might be doing behind the scenes? Maybe. But James would say, hey, hey, keep waiting. Be patient. God is up to something. Jesus is moving. God is working. He's got a plan for this world. He's got a plan for your life. The heroes of the Bible aren't uniquely special. You're just like them, and God can work and move in your life too keep waiting, keep enduring, let it refine your faith. Dad advice with James as our book comes to a close. Be patient. Because it may be hard to understand what God is up to all the time. Be plain in your speech. Because when you make commitments and keep them, people are associating that to how Jesus works. That Jesus said he would come back, he will. But if you make commitments and break them often, people begin to associate that to the nature of Jesus because we represent Jesus. So be plain in your speech and keep your commitments. And then finally, be prayerful. You're suffering, pray about it. You're happy, pray about it. You have sin, pray about it. You're sick, pray about it. You know someone who's wandering from the faith, pray for them. Are you wandering from the faith? Pray about it. Be patient, be plain, and be prayerful. That's how James wants to land the plane on his letter to those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. With that, our study in the book of James is done. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for uh, the letter written by your brother James, written to your people, to your brothers and sisters in the faith. James has rallied us and challenged us encouraged us, sharpened us, it has been hard at times, and has been so sweet at times. Jesus, as your brother wraps up his letter, he calls your people into three distinct thoughts, that we are to wait on you, that we are to be truthful with our words, and that we are to come to you with our emotions and selves and thoughts, to be patient, to be plain, and to be prayerful. And so, Jesus, I pray over this room full of teenagers, of students, of young adults, of the next generation, that we would indeed allow the Word of God to not just land on our ears, but land on our hearts. That we would be transformed by the Word. That we would get to know the God of the Word to deeper depths. That we would become patient people. That we would be honest in our speech at all times, faithful in our commitments, and that we would be prayerful. That we would learn how to come to you no matter the emotion, no matter the confusion, frustration, mystery, pain, no matter the sin. That we would be praying people who know that God is up to something even if we can't feel it in the moment, even if we can't see it in the reality, even if we don't know it in present time that you love us and you care about us, you're compassionate and merciful, that you are always working, even in the midst of waiting. We love you, Father. We pray that we would be a people who are changed by knowing your son Jesus and continually walking with the Spirit, being pulled ever closer to your heart, We ask these things, Father, in the name of your Son. Amen.